The research for Game Music 101 is funded by the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada, as well as the Dan School of Drama and Music at Queen's University. Hello and welcome to Game Music 101, a podcast all about the music of video games and what it communicates to its players. Today we have a special bonus episode for you by research assistants Andrew and Brooke, all about composer Trevor Morris and the music of Dragon Age Inquisition. We hope you enjoy. Hey folks, welcome back. This is Brooke and Andrew with an episode on Dragon Age Inquisition and the implementation of Canadian video game music. Hello! Today's episode focuses on the music composed by Trevor Morris for Dragon Age Inquisition, discussing the analysis of two pieces from the soundtrack, some history and influence behind the scores, how culture has influenced gameplay itself, as well as how the game has been received. Right, so the big question here that we want to consider throughout the podcast is what makes music Canadian, and is Inquisition considered to be Canadian as well? But first, let's look a bit into the background on video games and the Dragon Age series as well. So, video games did not come from Canada. Most video games actually came from the States and Japan. Usually, or mostly anyways, they started out with arcades and then moved to the home consoles. They would develop new technology, and their games would only improve from then on out. So for composers for the games, the music would usually come from people that were residing in the country. This would help financially, but also was just out of pure convenience. In terms of video game scholarship, there's not really much to begin with. In terms of my own research, I have only found a handful of sources that talk directly about video game music, and the rest is mentioned in passing throughout other sources. So for there not to be much scholarly work in general on video game music, the Canadian video game music scholarship is almost non-existent. Film music has also played a huge part in shaping modern video game music. So film music adapts and changes depending on the situation on screen. Also more interactive for listeners, whereas video game music before the 2000s was quite linear or fixed, so the structure wouldn't alter and it would be a continuous loop. So once games started having 3D models, an open world concept, or even a more complex narrative, composers wanted to further emulate this complexity and vastness through their music instead of keeping these looping sounds. So this idea of linear and non-linear music can contribute to this idea of interactivity that is used more commonly throughout something like Dragon Age Inquisition. So linear or a non-interactive experience, Winifred Phillips describes as seeking to lead the player into an inevitable conclusion whereas non-linear or interactive experience presents the player with a smorgasbord of options or choices. Where non-linearity offers players to be a part of the game or the world narrative, they allow to make choices or choose actions based on their own experiences they feel that are a part of the gameplay. It's influenced by the music. Games like Skyrim are also considered non-linear, which is quite similar to Inquisition in terms of quest-based and open-world concept, with huge landscapes and lots of choice and invites and involves the player not only narratively but musically as well. So unlike non-linear music that is based on the state of game, form doesn't change as much music plays and time passes. Unlike non-linear music, linear music is kind of based on the state of game, form doesn't change as much when time passes, and compositional structure doesn't alter. So Morris hasn't just scored for Dragon Age Inquisition. He's also scored for other platforms, films such as Olympus Has Fallen, or TV shows such as The Tudors. These other commissions that he's done have definitely played a part in the way that the score has been composed and how he wanted to represent this game. But I think Inquisition is probably his most well-known work. 
that he's done, especially video gaming-wise. Yeah, so the Canadian composer Trevor Morris has done a great deal of work composing for both film and video games, as Brooke just said. Some of his work does include uh, composing for the Tudors and the Olympus slash London Has Fallen franchise. In an interview with Morris, he explains how the music for Dragon Age Inquisition is created and is situated in a hall with stained glass windows, and as the daylight changes throughout the day, they get different moods within the room. In the same video on the Chandler Music USMC channel, Morris speaks of how his instruction for the game was to be as creative as possible. Dragon Age Inquisition is its own thing. I mean, you know, I'm largely driven by the story and the visuals are so incredible. And for me, there's an inspiration that comes from that that you can't get any other way. I'm forever asking them to send me in-game footage. Play the game and it's captured in video and send it to me and I loop it on my screen. So I, I play it in the background and things just happen and the color and the saturation of color and the movement inspires kind of how I find tempos and things like that. They really wanted me to do something different. So in that sense, it was a fresh start. I mean, it is a franchise, but I got to sort of break free of what had been done in the past and do my own version of it, which has been really refreshing. Comparing Morris's music to previous composer Enon Zur, his music is much more Western-based in terms of his vocal choice. Instrumentation remains fairly consistent, but Zur chooses to add lyrics to his vocal parts, and additionally, these lyrics are not in English. This clean slate really allowed for Morris to be creative, and his influence for the music came from receiving clips of gameplay from game designers. Instead of composing the soundtrack blindly, Morris was able to tailor the music and tweak his compositions to fit more specifically with the gameplay he was seeing on screen. So why is this important? Well, instead of having a game that is effective or not effective in communicating its story through music, Morris was able to make the connection between his music and the gameplay stronger by seeing what the player would observe on screen, and therefore the resulting soundtrack was composed with that immersion in mind. A topic that we frequently talked about in Music 388, one of the courses that both Brooke and I are in, is the idea of, of what makes a, a piece of music Canadian. Is it the composer? Is it the location recorded? Is it the influences such as landscape, culture, and geographical context that have a, an effect on what is composed? Well, Dragon Age Inquisition was developed by Bioware, which falls under an umbrella stemming from EA Games, which is quite a large developer in terms of uh, video games worldwide. EA has multiple branches of its US-based company, including countries such as Canada with three locations, one in British Columbia, one in Alberta, and one in Quebec, as well as England, India, Romania, and Korea, to name a few. According to EA's website, the developer of the game, Bioware, is based in Edmonton, Alberta. So this, in turn, raises some questions of whether the game is truly Canadian in terms of where the game is created, or whether it's actually American as it falls under the expansive EA umbrella. The music is composed and recorded in the US, but the composer is from Canada, so which aspect do we rely on more when determining how to label the music and where it's from? Right, exactly. And this discussion of what is Canadian music, we'll kind of get back to later, but right now we're gonna move to a theoretical and harmonic analysis of the music. Andrew and I both analyzed a piece in Dragon Age Inquisition, and we decided to kind of compare these in terms of Trevor Morse's compositional style, as well as how this was kind of different from the previous Dragon Age games. So I specifically decided to look at the Dragon Age Inquisition theme. So the instrumentation for this piece is made to make the sound 
very epic and big, making the music with Trevor Morris. Andrew already kind of referenced it on a folklore piece in the beginning, going to this big overarching sound. I think the reason for this epicness to it is to give the first impressions of the game, is to establish what the game is doing and what's it about. So the instrumentation includes choir, voice, strings, so cello, bass, double bass, violin, a brass section, and percussion. So basically a full orchestra plus voice is being utilized here. This piece also includes mode mixture, where the sound is major at times and utilizes the major sixth, major seventh, and dominant seventh chord to sound major within the piece, although the piece is mostly in D minor, the way I analyzed it. This piece also shifts from D minor to D Dorian as well in the beginning and the end of the piece. The reason I believe this piece is mostly in D minor is because of the prolongation of a D minor chord throughout the piece, emphasized in cyclic moving string parts, and the D being emphasized in a pulsing rhythm in another voice with the strings. This I think is used to portray the game as both uplifting and fun, but also with threats that you must conquer as the player. By bar 29, there starts to become something kind of different about this piece. So by bar 29, there is a tonal ambiguity happening here. Instead of something that sounds very minor or modal, it actually sounds quite bright and major. There's a section in the piece by bar 29 that removes the flats from the B flat, so now they're B natural. So it's essentially the key of C major, but they don't use the two sharps of the, the key of D majors. So at first I thought it went to D Dorian in this section, but I think because of the tonic to dominant jump in the five B major, it emphasizes a D major sounding part. Sure, there's mode mixture and some minor chords happening, but I think that this particular sound is brighter than the other sections and leaves the listener on a more of an uplifting note than the earlier parts of this piece. So overall, I believe that this section, there is definitely some tonal ambiguity, and I think that this was purposely done by Morris. Yeah, and the piece I looked at is called Orle's Theme, and is contrasting to Brooks as mine is more specific to one character compared to the introductory theme of the game. So it uses a variety of instruments as well. They include stringed instruments, percussion, and it uses piano ornamentation very sparsely throughout the piece. These instruments take turns with the main theme, which seems to be a canon that occurs throughout the piece. The choice of instrumentation is also seen in other video games, with a dramatic or inspiring story, as well as in film examples. Upon analyzing the harmony, I observed that the composer, Trevor Morris, uses mode mixture as well as Brooke just talked about. I would argue that this choice is to throw the listener off, and often exchanges a minor chord for a major chord, which I find personally to inspire me and the gameplay. Similarly to mode mixture, Morris uses Tiers de Picardy in many of his cadences. Now, Tiers de Picardy is when you start with a minor tonality and on the final cadence of the piece, the final chord is major instead of resolving to the minor, which would be expected. And it ends the, the piece with this more triumphant, happy sounding chord as opposed to the minor tonality that the listener is, has grown accustomed to. I believe this to be employed for, for two reasons. One of which is similar to his use of mode mixture to inspire the listener, but also to propel the music forward as the listener might expect a minor chord to be heard at the ending of a piece. The Picardy third delays this final tonality. When looking at the structure of this music, I found that the same theme came back all over the place and in multiple keys. From what I can observe, 
The piece begins in C-sharp minor, moves to F-sharp minor, and ends in G-sharp minor. This of course follows the idea of a tonic key, then a modulation to a subdominant of the tonic, and then finally a modulation to the dominant of the tonic key. This in itself is quite interesting, as the music never actually returns to the home tonality of C-sharp minor. In addition to this, the rising harmonic progressions are employed to propel the music forward, eventually resulting in what is hoped to be a strong dominant to tonic cadence. Looking at the final bars of this piece, this motion is not clearly present. However, there is evidence of a dominant tonic motion, just not in the traditional way that you would expect a Beethoven symphony to resolve. The chords can be realized as major 6, major 7, and finally minor 1. The listener does not get the strong 5 to 1 motion that is expected, therefore leaving them wanting more. Looking more broadly, the final chord of the piece is a minor 1 chord in G-sharp minor, which is actually the minor 5 of the home key which is C-sharp minor. This is completely contrasting to the original tonality, especially if we consider the G-sharp minor chord to be the altered dominant of the home key. Basically, after analyzing this piece, I left myself wondering, like, wow, uh, Trevor Morris has really done something amazing here. I find this piece mm -hmm. really, really cool. So let's look at these pieces in comparison, Andrew. Uh, yeah, I think? I think that the commonality is definitely the mode mixture, which we, mm -hmm. we both touched on for sure, and how you basically sub in a, a minor chord instead of a major chord or, mm -hmm. or the other way around. Right, and even though the part that I'm talking about that sounds like D major, there is still some mode mixture because I think he's trying to make it ambiguous and then turn it into something that is unknown to the viewer and to the listener as well. And you know, it's funny, you were talking about the use of keys and the modulations, whereas my piece actually looked at a lot of the enharmonic stuff. So I analyzed it where it starts in D Dorian, goes to D minor, goes to potentially D major, and then back to D minor but there is some parts that could be D Dorian as well. So really what's happening here is there's a lot of expansive stuff happening with your piece, whereas mine is kind of like, it's working within its own boundaries. Yeah, yours is hovering around the same tonality. Meanwhile, mine moves towards like a Western sort of influence where you move from Correct. a tonic key to a subdominant to a dominant and one would expect it would resolve back to the tonic key but mm -hmm. again we well I, I don't think that we ever get that that resolution and that's one no. of the really intriguing parts about this piece mm -hmm. well and that's it like the part with the D major in my piece it is near the very end and then it automatically within like the last two three bars goes back to D minor and ends on that minor one chord so you're back to that same kind of feeling as the beginning but you still have that major before so it's kind of like is this good or bad i don't really know because it's so abrupt right at the end absolutely although yours has an abrupt ending like mm -hmm. it has this conclusive thing as as, yeah. as far as i understand it goes back to a d minor chord mm -hmm. which you i would assume get at the beginning of the piece as yeah. well right meanwhile mine starts on a very c sharp minor chord and ends on a g sharp minor chord mm -hmm. and the listener is sort of left with this this ambiguity of uh is the, is the piece done yet or uh is there, is there more to it? Yeah, and well, and it's almost like the pulse of your piece as well is almost like it could be continuous. Like yeah. it could keep going on forever, theoretically. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, also, our piece, the structure of our pieces, yours feels very much like it has some sort of form. Mine, I think, is through composed. I could be wrong, but I think that the way that it's structured is so that it is a full thing that's telling a, it's telling a story and it's kind of giving you the preliminary things you need to know about this game without giving away too much. But your piece, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it is a theme for a specific character, and I think the structure and having structure in it 
kind of represents the singularity of yours. Absolutely, and how the, the change through modulation represents mm -hmm. uh, to, to shifting to a new key shows a, a slight change, but it brings back a, a familiar theme which represents the characters. Yeah, no, right. I 100% I agree, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. So looking more on uh, what the actual cultural impact of the game is and how it's been received by the, the general public, I read an article from the Daily Dot and in it, um, the interviewer Grandshaw interviewed the game's music director, Michael Kent, who stated that the team for Dragon Age Inquisition started early to give gamers a new experience. So the music was started long before the development of the game itself. Right. Kent later stated that it is another Dragon Age game but it is the most ambitious Dragon Age game yet. So we wanted to bring something brand new to the table and thought we'd try a new composer to see how it worked. Morris is really good at writing themes and bringing really epic music to the table. This change in composer was met with some controversy on whether or not the fans of the original franchise actually liked the music. Most fans were used to Zur's style of music, and many claim that this new music hasn't really connected with the old games, and therefore it's a completely new experience. Even though, for most of the scholarship on this piece that I read, actually shows that they took themes from the original Dragon Age games and tried to pick and choose the best parts, and then implemented it in this this new score. Yeah, like splice it together. Yeah, splice it together, absolutely. One interesting thing I also found in this article was that Kent also says that music was an integral part of Dragon Age from the beginning, and I absolutely agree with that. However, he stated that audio is 50% of the game playing experience. This sparked a question in my mind in terms of how we perceive the music in video games, um, and that question being, just how much of music within a video game do we actually recognize? How much do we rely on it? And how would the game change, and how would it be different without it? So while in some genres, silence can be effective in communicating various characteristics. Most games aim for there to be no stoppage in the auditory experience for the player, and Dragon Age Inquisition is no different from this. With a soundtrack that started long before the game's designing and developing began, I think that the music plays a much larger role than the 50% that Kent claims. While I'm not discounting the visuals on screen making up some of the importance, I think that the music behind a video game such as this makes up for the majority of the gameplay experience, as without sound, the gameplay would have no inspiring accompaniment to convey emotion, meaning, and urgency. Right, and I think the reception of these elements in gameplay can definitely affect the overall success of the game as well as future sequels to come, and not just with Dragon Age, but like also other games as well that we have recently had. So audiences can shape the success in current games, and this is not only to do with music, but games as a whole. Um, however, as Andrew was saying, music does have a huge role in this. So if audiences receive the game well, usually they'll follow the same formula in producing another game or sequel. If not, usually they'll get someone else to take over on the team or change elements of the game to amp up the experience. If the music is catchy as well, this will keep the composer around to create more. Two examples off the top of my head that I think do this extremely well is Koji Kondo, who did the music for Super Mario Bros. and The Legend of Zelda series. Um, most people recognize the music for these games and David Wise, who did the music for Donkey Kong and Diddy Kong Country games, and was recently asked to come back to do the Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze soundtrack in 2014. So basically, even though he made these games in the 90s, and this was like over 20 years ago, he still came back to do this because they really loved his music and were inspired by it, and they just wanted him to come back for something that was 
you know, still relevant and people loved it and it was an, it was a great success. Um, looking at film music, we also see examples uh, such as Hans Zimmer who brought the iconic Pirates of the Caribbean music to life. Um, I know so many people that can hum that tune and was asked to come back for the sequels as well to do that music. We can see this as well with Trevor and the Olympus Has Fallen music that he's composed. He was asked to do the sequel for this as well, which was London Has Fallen. And I know for a fact that Andrew is actually a big fan of these movies and I'm sure he also likes the music as well. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> So they brought Trevor Morris in for Dragon Age Inquisition and not the previous composer Enon Zur, which was Andrew was kind of talking about. Uh, my speculation for this, and I know Andrew was kind of talking about it already, but I think that what they were trying to do was amp up the series to be something that was new and fantastic and special that was different than the other previous games. And because the previous games had been well received by fans, they still decided to go with this new composer, which is very interesting. I'm curious to why they made that choice. So now in Inquisition, Drever Morris is doing much more of his own thing. He does incorporate some elements of the previous melodies, uh, but most of it was his own work and he tried to make it also authentic to himself. I mean, he wanted to include some elements, but authenticity, I think at this point is what his goal was. Even though I think his soundtrack is complex and doing all the right things to attract the players to play the game, previous hardcore fans of the game didn't really like it. They didn't receive it well. People who knew the music before were kind of skeptical of what he did differently. I think though new players to this series would have no bias and really like the soundtrack and what it's doing. I personally haven't played the previous games, so I have no context of what the music does differently, but I think it's really awesome and catchy. Like I really enjoy this and it gets stuck in my head. So this kind of brings up, and I don't know if we'll, we'll just kind of leave it for you listeners to discuss and think about, but do you think that Trevor Morris will be asked to do the next Dragon Age game? If there was one, will he compose the music? I, I don't know because on one hand, this game has been the most successful Dragon Age one, and his music is probably the most iconic and most memorable, but also there's fans out there that didn't receive it well. So, I don't know. What do you guys think? So going into a question of, of what we've alluded to throughout this podcast is what actually makes the music Canadian? Do we think that Trevor Morris's music in Dragon Age Inquisition is characteristic of Canadian or is it some other national identity because of where it's been composed or where it's been produced? My opinion of this, and I mean you could take it one way or another, but I think that it's Canadian to an extent. I mean the person who created it was Canadian. A lot of the associated production is in Canada. It wasn't all, like, I mean, they performed and recorded it in Nashville, but the person who made this music and who is personifying it to larger audiences is Canadian. But the music isn't stylistic of Canada and what is Canadian music, I guess. And it's also emulating a different time period, but it could be one way or another. But I think it can only be to an extent Canadian because it's such a wide audience. And I feel like some part of Canadian music is having it kind of to ourselves in our country. And Canadian music often isn't really shared with larger audiences unless they've moved to the States or they associate themselves with the States. 
I definitely agree with that. Uh, one point that you brought up was when you're writing a, a genre of music specific to a time period, for this case, something like medieval times, I think it's really difficult to associate a national identity with a piece of music because it isn't written with someone's culture in mind. However, their influences from their own culture and their own experience, right. they do affect the music that they compose. Right, and I think that, and it's harder for people, even Canadians, to kind of identify it because it's in this world that our world doesn't exist. There's not even real countries. There's no US, there's no Japan, there's no China. It's hard to pinpoint what exactly the game would be trying to emulate if it was realistic. Like what you're saying, Andrew, there is Canadian influences, of course, but they also have to kind of keep it in that medieval kind of fantastical sense to, you know, adapt to the game. Absolutely. No, I agree. The The influences of the composer can't be fully reflected in the music that he composes. For Otherwise, sure. it wouldn't fit with the style of the game. Right. Well, and potentially his influences on his music and his idols and the people he looks up to, they're probably not Canadian either. Like, if you're thinking of people who've done soundtracks, scores for music, like even Hans Zimmer, like, he's not Canadian. I mean, Howard Shore was Canadian, actually. I didn't, I didn't actually know that until, like, the past year or so. It goes back to what you said before about the scholarship on game music, as mm -hmm. well as some film music, and no one personally associates a composer with being from the country that they're from. Right. Having not known, I didn't know Dragon Age Inquisition existed, and now I'm very excited that a Canadian composer was involved in the composition of this music. Right. Well, I think that the composers are associated with their work, and what they do, and like, the movies that they've done, the video games that they've done, but I think that they're associated with that and not so much their heritage or their identity necessarily. So it looks like that's all the time we have for this podcast. Stay tuned for next week's episode on why the game Goat Simulator has resulted in me not going to many of my university classes. <laughs> and me singing Country Roads. Country Roads, take me home. <laughs> To the place. <laughs> I belong, West Virginia, Mountain Mama, take me home, country road. Our next regularly scheduled episode, as Brooke and Andrew just hinted at, will focus on the music of farming sims, all about how the music creates relaxation while referencing the trope of the pastoral. Happy gaming, and we'll see you next time. Thank you to the Sonic Arts Studio at Queen's University, the Dan School of Drama and Music, and CFRC Campus Radio for their support of this podcast.